Hi everyone, I'm Ian Wright. Make sure you check out my podcast, Wright's House, every Wednesday on Ringer FC. Each week, I'm joined by a rotating panel guest to talk about football, life, films, everything. Search for Ringer FC on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Take it easy. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. Whether it's taking all your little ones to their sporting events or everybody getting together and taking a ride to the beach, the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped for any adventure. With features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud or standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, It was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Hello and welcome to Group Chat. I am Justin Barrier and joining me, fresh back from Las Vegas, the gambler himself. It's Rob Mahoney. What's up, buddy? Justin, I'm, I'm back. I'm sun-kissed. I'm a, I'm a husk of a man, but I'm back. I think that's the important thing. You are. You are. Uh, how was it out there? Honestly, it was great. It was great to see Summer League back on its legs again, back looking like itself. Um, and I mean that in good ways and bad, seeing as we are technically still in a pandemic. Las Vegas, not very aware of that fact, but <laughs> we were living large, you know, like if, if we're going to go out, if I'm going to go out, at least I'm going to go out doing what I love, which is watching pretty bad basketball with some of my dearest friends in the NBA ranks and the NBA media. And it was it was a delight. I had a great time. Yeah. Any any late night poker binges? Any uh, any tales like dark tales from NBA media and what what they're getting into at three AM? Oh, there's there's very many, but you can't you can't put people on blast like that. You can't put <laughs> at least your colleagues can't put them on blast like that. Uh, sure, I'm I'm trying to think of, of what the, what the the staples of the nightlife were. I mean, I will say I did have a tinge of regret. There's a big you know NBA welcome party for summer league every year. I usually skip it. Um, white party. It was not right? a white. I mean, informally, but. No, mm. not a white party. You wore beige to be to be like slightly off kilter. I wore beige so that I could feign trying to get in with other people and then they wouldn't <laughs> let me in and I could go do something else instead. But right. I did have a tinge of regret on not going when I was told Rui Hachimura was DJing a set inside. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't heard that. I'll never get that back. I'll never get that chance back. Um, but it was, you know, obviously Summer League, if you've never been before, amazing place for celebrity sightings. You don't need, you didn't have to go to the gym in which you could, you know, sidle up at a urinal next to Jerry West or something like that. But even if you just hang out at just the the biggest hotels on the strip, you're going to be bumping into NBA players all over the place. And in my case, more importantly, my most important celebrity sighting, Mark Murphy, celebrity chef, chopped judge, saw him mm. just canvassing the floor at the wind looking for, I think, a, I think a table, maybe a restaurant, who knows, but... I was starstruck. 
Wow. I, I'm not a chopped guy. I was more of a top oh, chef come on. type of person. You know, I roll with the elitists. I'm not I trying to it. see a bunch of amateurs doing this. But speak, speaking of celebrity chefs, though, our colleague, Jomi Adeneron, among mm. our, our, our big ringer staff that showed out, cannot go anywhere without getting mobbed. The, the Ringerverse celebrity has really gotten to Jomi's head and the, they, the Ringerverse fans showed out in force in Vegas. So that was, that was amazing to see and daunting to see. And I guess if I need to get into anywhere, I just tell him I'm with Jomi. I'm in. That's it. Right. Well, I'm a little jealous. Uh, well, I'm, I'm sort of jealous. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not jealous of probably like how your body is feeling, but you know, I've gone many a time. I, I sat out this year in, in part just to kind of take a breather, but you know, I had a little FOMO, you know? Yeah. I remember well, the dog days of of spending the entire time at Summer well, League and uh, when I was a young man and I could still do that. I remember seeing Flava Flav uh, <laughs> at Summer League, Daniel Orton on on the craps tables. You know, there's a lot of good times out there. There are a lot of good times and you were dearly missed. I, well, you know, we'll start the campaign now. We're going to get you back out there for 2023. Beautiful. Uh, any Anything like circulating while you're at Summer League? Like what, what were people talking about for the most part? Actually, conveniently, some of the things mm. that I was talking to people about or the, the, the subjects that kept coming up are things we're going to get into in our mailbag today. So we don't, we don't even need to tee it up. I will say, I think that's a credit to, to the listeners of this podcast. Clearly, they are tapped into the NBA zeitgeist in a way that listeners of other podcasts just are not. We're, we're on the pulse of the conversation here at the group chat, if nothing else. That's what they um, say. But as Rob is alluding to, we'll get into a mailbag, a first on the group chat podcast for Rob here. But first, we're going to get into some Donovan Mitchell destination rankings. Uh, I should mention briefly, Big Waz not on the podcast. Obviously, he will be back, I think, in two weeks. So uh, it's it's Rob and I for the foreseeable. So so strap in, folks. I mean, it goes um, without saying that Waz was out there in Vegas with us, and I just have no <laughs> idea where he is. Like <laughs> yeah. another another person who probably died doing what he loved. Although, you know, Waz and I live pretty different lifestyles, but I respect it. Sure. Um, all right. So Donovan Mitchell, as everybody knows, I think we talked about it last week. Was it last week when we talked about this as a possibility? Uh, it seems like more of a reality now, or I guess you could say, um, but ESPN had a report Tuesday uh, in which Woj writes, rival teams say the Jazz are now showing a willingness to listen on possible trade scenarios for Donovan Mitchell, aka I guess they're just picking up the phone. Is that what that means? I think it might. It's okay. good. To, it's good uh, to take people's calls. You know, catch yeah. up with old friends. See what's see what's what. Yeah, but Woj doesn't put that out there if it doesn't seem like a, a realistic possibility. Um, and it's been followed up today, Wednesday, by a lot of reports suggesting like, oh, well, this is probably going to happen. Scuttlebutt here or there. The Knicks are the favorites. Yada yada yada. I'm sure you're all caught up if you're listening to this podcast. Um, what we're going to do is going to rank some of the possible destinations. Uh, and I have them separated into four tiers because while uh, Rob was recovering, I was separating Donovan Mitchell suitors into tiers last night. So uh, you, <laughs> you sound like you were learning the, the way of the sword. Like you were really bettering yourself <laughs> and refining your talents. Yeah, it's basically Highlander. Um, so, okay. First tier are the likely wait, wait, suitors. F- first of all, what are we ranking yeah. them by? Um, like the, the likeliness they end up in these places, the end result and how successful it would be. Like what are, what is our metric here? The latter. Yeah, that's a good question. Let's do the latter on like your personal power ranking of I would like Donovan Mitchell to end up here because For, I think the fit would be great. I think gotcha. like he he would like it. Maybe his kids will enjoy the school system. Everything. Love it. Okay. Okay. So first up, New York Knicks. Odds on favorites based on recent intel. Um, 
I think that there are two questions here. One is the fit. They obviously have Jalen Brunson, who everyone was making a big deal out of how this was Jalen Brunson's opportunity to have more time with the ball, to be the front and center guy, to have his name on the marquee. Uh, that lasted about two weeks. Uh, and it makes me think about the story we told about Will Barton the other day uh, about how teams are willing to say anything to a player to get them in house. Uh, so that would be tough for Brunson. In addition to having two six foot one guards in your backcourt. So I'm worried about the fit. Yep. I'm also wondering what they're going to give up because the Knicks seem like the most desperate team on the table. And Danny Ainge, by all accounts, is going to really bleed some teams dry here, no matter what he gets. And I have to wonder if RJ Barrett, is going to be in the poo-poo platter coming back to the jazz. And so um, why don't we start with Barrett here, Rob? Like, do you think like he makes sense as like the, the blue chip prospect you're getting in this trade? And if you're the the Knicks, like, would you even want to give him up at this point? I mean, I really like Barrett. I, I think he had a pretty successful season, especially from a developmental standpoint last season. I would be, I would be looking at every possible version of this trade in which I don't give him up. If I were the Knicks, that's going to be tough for obvious reasons. There's not a lot in terms of like roster players that the Knicks are going to be able to throw in here that's going to entice the Jazz where they are in their cycle unless they're just, you know, inexplicably high on Emmanuel quickly or something like that. But I think I think you can you can maybe entice them with the picks. And I I think that's kind of the appeal if you if we're coming off of in the wake of the Gobert trade. This is a team that hasn't even fully gone through the process of tearing itself down yet. Like they're still investing in draft capital. They don't have their first prospects in the door yet. Maybe picks are enough for, for a guy mm-hmm. like Mitchell. If, if you can, you know, leave the protections at the door, if you can put enough of them on the table, if you include enough swaps, maybe that is something that can get Utah on the line here. And so I'm wondering personally, you know, salary wise, you still have to give up something of, of clear value to you or else it's just not going to math- work mathematically. Is there a, a Julius Randle-based salary dump type trade with a bunch of picks attached? That's kind of where I would be looking, and then I'm then I'm staring down a potential starting lineup of Brunson and Mitchell and Barrett, and I'm knighting Obi Toppin and getting him in there and getting him some some much deserved extra run and Mitchell Robinson. That's not going to crack the top three in the Eastern Conference next season, but it's sure as hell going to be fun to watch and and good in a good investment in terms of a younger talent base with room to grow. Sure. Uh, so the Knicks are plus four in, in first rounders. So they have all of their own, which like for anyone who's followed the Knicks, like beyond the past decade, like that's an achievement. So congrats to them for not just being in the hole there, but they also have four fu- future first from other teams. They got three, I believe in the draft night deals that they made in order to trade out the 11th pick. So if they wanted to, and they could do what you're suggesting, basically say, hey, take Randall, but we're going to stuff you so full of picks that like you won't even be able to draft all these players. I think you could tr- trade out to 2029 at this point. So you have seven of your own first half of those would have to be swaps just based on the uh, the uh, the rules in place there, plus the f- four. So like you can get to 11 maximum picks right there, which is like a lot. I doubt they'll have to give all of them, but they they probably can outbid people just based on sheer volume of draft picks. I think my question is like, is Barrett the optimal three in that scenario where you're already sharing the ball between Brunson and Mitchell? I I assume they would stagger them to give them time to be like uh, run the show in their own regard. But like, shouldn't Barrett have some of that time as well? It's not ideal. You know, I 
and I think even from a size standpoint and from an explosiveness standpoint, you know, Barrett's a guy who's kind of more strong than he is hyper-athletic. And then you have these other two guards who, as you mentioned, are just going to be undersized and giving up, giving up a lot on both positions defensively pretty much every game. And so that's not where you want to, where you want to be in terms of, oh, this is the perimeter orientation of our, of our defensive scheme is these three guys. I don't feel great about that, but between Barrett's upside offensively and frankly, like what he could mean to you as a trade chip for something else. Like if you do need to, to make a subsequent move, I think RJ is going to be really attractive in a way that, that a Randall or, or whoever else would be included in an alternate construction of this deal just would not. So yeah. I, I mean, I, it, it is it is tricky in that in that way because Barrett's growth will be stifled by playing alongside Mitchell and Brunson and giving up a lot of offensive air, a lot of offensive opportunity. But what else are you supposed to do? Like I, I, I feel like I feel like that's still kind of the best way forward if they can find a way through. Although you know, from a liability standpoint, we cannot endorse on this podcast giving up eleven draft picks for Donovan Mitchell. We, we are not saying that the Knicks should do that. <sighs> I mean, what else do they have if they don't give up a lot of those picks, though? Like, I don't know. Like, even the path forward with Mitchell, Brunson, Barrett, like, they're obviously better. But, like, I don't know. Are they even a, a top four seed in the Eastern Conference that's going to be way more top heavy than it was maybe even this year? I think the answer is probably not. Yeah. I mean... After signing the Brunson contract, you're probably pot committed to being relevant now, right? And so I understand it from that regard. Get Mitchell in, make the best of this opportunity. But I don't know, man. And like, we're just assuming that they're going to keep Barrett in this deal, which like, we're not even yes. sure that's going to happen. If it's yeah. not Barrett, like you're looking at Randall, who was already griping about a lot of things, including the New York fans. <laughs> and so like, I think he's an even worse fit in in that scenario. And if it's Randall... Mitchell Brunson. Uh, I don't know. Like, are we talking about a play in team still? I think they might be able to clear it. And, and I mean, if we're, if we're being totally honest about where the Eastern conference is right now, I think like the fifth and sixth seeds are going to be determined by health more than anything. So it's like, you know, between the, the Hawks and the Knicks and the Cavs and the teams in that kind of range, the bulls, like, like who, who is going to have the season long injury to relevant players is probably what's going to determine those things. But they can put like they've put themselves in that conversation in a more meaningful way by getting Brunson. I get why they would want to follow through on that by by trading for Mitchell. There, there just are limits to what you can give up in terms of the draft capital for a player like him when you're already committed to Brunson, when you're already committed to some of these other members of this core. Realistically, I don't think you get out of this deal without trading Barrett. Like you know, mm-hmm. we like we've we've made our case for why they should do everything they can do to avoid it, even though he's not an optimal fit. But if you're the Utah Jazz. Like why, why, like the, the picks aren't going to be compelling enough unless they're just completely distant and completely unprotected, in which case they're also not helping you rebuild your team. Really? Right. Are you a Barrett guy in general? I feel like we've talked about this on and off for a while now, but I always need to check in because I'm always somewhere in between. Like I've never been in love with him, and I've never really hated him. I think he's a fine player. And I think he's the type of player that like you probably need to hand the keys over to and or at least like let him play, like run the offense for a little bit just to see what you have in him as like a primary creator. Uh, but I don't know. Where are you on him? I've really kind of become one and I didn't see it coming. Wow. You know, like he's not he's not quite my my type in terms of players yeah. I would gravitate toward. You know, you would you would like him to shoot a little bit better. 
you would like to have see him have just like a little more shake than than plowing through guys, but he's just crafty enough and just strong enough. And I guess I guess his must like his explosion must be just completely reduced to the first step because he's not like a like a one end of the court to the other explosive athlete, but he gets where he needs to go. And I think as as our as we've become less and less enamored with Julius Randle. I find myself looking more and more over to RJ Barrett and being like, can we please just get this guy the freaking ball? Um, mm. But he's, he's impressed me in a, just like in terms of his developmental arc so far, you know, a third year player going into year four, I think he still has a lot of room to grow, still has a lot he can expand as a driver and a pull-up shooter, certainly, and a playmaker off the dribble. I think he has a lot to offer a team. Yeah, I think it's uh, convenient that he also hasn't signed a rookie extension at this point. If he had signed it, he wouldn't be eligible to be traded. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, the other team on the board here, another Eastern Conference contender, uh, Miami Heat, who, as we've known, what, over the past decade plus, they're, are thirsty for any star power that they can get their hands on and they're willing to to trade away or give away anything that isn't nailed down. Uh, the presumption here is that it would be some combination of Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, and Picks. And now I can kind of see your eyes glaze over here. So you do not seem super compelled by a future with Tyler Hero as your primary creator. No, no. That, that's putting it lightly. Um, hmm. I do like this parlor game we're playing, though. You know, we've got Miami in the, in the Kevin Durant sweepstakes as well. And so it's just like, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, Picks. Will it get us Kevin Durant? <laughs> no. <laughs> Will it get us Donovan Mitchell? Probably not. It, you know, if, if if we're just kind of being frank about about where Tyler Hero's market is right now, and another guy who was very interesting to talk to people about at summer league, the variance on him is even wider than you would imagine. I will say mm. his 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 stock, even on the high end, I think has come down considerably since the bubble for understandable reasons. And he was hurt in the playoffs. You want to put that put an asterisk on that in the way it deserves, but I think there's just a lot of concern about him as anything resembling a very focal option within your offense. You know, like he, he's in a, he's in a place now in Miami where he's allowed to take bad shots. He's allowed to kind of freewheel because the team needs him to freewheel so desperately. But once you're like really relying on on him in like a primary or secondary option basis, I think that's just a tough hang. And it's certainly a tough hang is like, I'm going to pin the, the long-term growth of my franchise on basically Tyler Hero becoming Donovan Mitchell or becoming that kind of level of player, I don't see that at all. So I I, I don't think the Jazz will be terribly compelled by the Heat's offer, though, if we're ranking it by, on the grounds of where we want to see Donovan Mitchell go, I would love to see him on the Heat for exactly the same reasons in terms of what he's giving the Heat that Hero is not. Right. So yeah, let's look at the Heat side of this just quickly. If they do pull that off, they would have Lowry, Mitchell, Butler, Bam and probably like a Max Struess type or some guy that they just found in the G League turned into a 45% three-point shooter. Yeah. It's pretty damn good. Pretty good. And I do like that with the Heat, as you alluded to, not only do they have Mac, the real Max Struess, but you can just kind of put in pencil the next Max Struess on the Heat <laughs> roster already. I don't know who it is, but they they probably found him already. Right. Um, is that the best team in the East? Is uh, no, I won't even go that, that let's, far. Like, let's, let's second relax. best team, Justin. Second let's best, re relax. Like third best. You know, you know the like Giannis Antetokounmpo, Joel Embiid. These guys are in the Eastern Conference. You are aware of this. Oh, you're not even considering the Celtics there. 
I know. That's what I'm saying. Like, like these, I think we're, we need to talk about the Heat's future in a more meaningful way at some point, but they, uh, they kind of look like they're getting boxed out of the East a little bit in terms of the, the top tier of that conference. Maybe the Mitchell, like maybe that's why they would be hyper motivated to trade for someone like Mitchell, because if they, if they see the writing on the wall in that way, if they're looking at what Philly did or or what Boston did or, or where Milwaukee is and thinking like, are we really good enough to crack this group? then maybe they find a way to cobble together some of their assets or make a more enticing offer there. I mean, I, that would not be totally shocking to me. The Heat make way more sense to me than the Knicks because they are right on the verge of breaking through. Yeah, All they need, as we saw in last year's playoffs or this year's playoffs, they need some juice. Would you rather have Barrett or Hero? Oof. I don't know if Barrett ever reaches his ceiling but I like that ceiling way more than Hero. Hero seems destined to be Jamal Crawford plus. Like I think he's in an ideal role as an off-the-bench creator who could run the second unit, who could put up 25 points in any regular season game. But like you get to the playoffs, as we've seen now for, what, four or five years, someone like him is just going to be attacked relentlessly. And even though you surround him with Kyle Lowry and Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, if he's on the floor, he's getting hunted and he's probably getting played off the floor. And Barrett, as we mentioned, has, has really turned around as a defender. And like, I don't know if he'll ever have the off the dribble juice that Tyler Hero has. And like I said, like I wonder if he ultimately just becomes Julius Randle light or Julius Randle heavy or Julius Randle without the rough edges. but. I don't know if I'm, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I would probably lean him over hero. Yeah. I think that's understandable. One thing I've been thinking about with the, the Tyler hero trade sweepstakes as they've, as they become, mm. he, I wonder if a team might talk themselves into him as like a ticket seller seems strong, but I will say it's very pronounced like Tyler hero's star and reputation among kids of a certain age. Is, in Utah, especially, I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. It's uncanny. It's like may, maybe this is just me coming off of summer league brain, where you just see like, you know, I don't know, literally half of the under under twelve kids there wearing Tyler Hero jerseys. But yeah. I could, I could see some team thinking like, oh, this is like a marketable star for us. You know, even if he's not the best player in the world, he's someone p like our fan base might gravitate toward. Hypothetically, if you were, you know, <laughs> a Hero team who's into that kind of thing. Made for Utah. Yeah. Yeah. That's how you reset your culture. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I kind of hope I'm like rooting for the Heat to pull this off because I love that starting five. I think they would have the extra juice that they need. And like Kyle Lowry is 36. Who knows what they'll get from him in the regular season, let alone in the playoffs. Jimmy Butler is 32. Like they're right on the verge. And like, this is the type of home run swing that they need to take in order to crack the tier to be on the level of like the Sixers and the Celtics and all them right now. I think they're a notch below, even though they did get the first seed last year. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's go to tier two. Now we're at the desperate teams. Uh, these are teams that as I was going through this are going to be really tough to pull this off because they are hard cap because they used uh, at least a, a portion of the mid-level exception in order to sign bench players. Oh, I believe it was Gary Payton the second uh, and I forgot who it was for the wizards, but uh, Oh, it was, um, it was Delonte, right? So I like it. That's, Sure. Like, but those are the guys that are keeping them from even being in this conversation. Um, let's start with the, the Portland Trailblazers. I think it's just 
with them and and I guess for the Wizards is that they're so committed to Dame at this point that you probably need to make the most of your current situation. And while trading for Mitchell would be tough, you're pretty much giving up every young player that isn't nailed down at this point. We're talking Josh Hart, Shaden Sharp, Nazir Little, Justice Winslow, Keon Johnson. That's what, five players already that you have to find replacements for under the hard cap. So it's already very difficult. But like theoretically, a Mitchell Dame backcourt, all offense. What do you think? No. (laughs) Okay. I'm out. Uh, Because they already have Simons. Who yeah. I should mention can't be traded until like January, which is why he wouldn't be in this deal. But I think a Simons for for Mitchell swap makes way more sense. But I think I think the Simons piece makes it cumbersome and more so just like if Portland is trading for anything, Donovan Mitchell is basically the last kind of archetype of player I would want to trade for. Nothing against him okay. personally. I think Donovan Mitchell is a really good player. It's just not what Portland needs in in literally any way. So I, I they are desperate. They do want to get better. They've done. They've made some efforts to to close that gap and maybe get themselves in the playoff mix in a more meaningful way. And a healthy Dame will go will go pretty far in that regard too. But I don't like it. I, I don't. I don't like the smell of that pairing. All right. Well, same thing with the Wizards here. The poo poo platter includes Kyle Kuzma, Monty Morris, who just got traded there. Friends with Kyle Kuzma growing up, they get to go live out their days in Portland together. Uh, taste some some IPAs on the weekends. You know, they'll have a good time. <laughs> Uh, Rui Hachimura, Corey Kispert, Rui Hachimura continues his DJing career <laughs> in the hotbed of techno that is Portland. We need to uh, confirm me, what Utah. his. We need to confirm what his DJ name is. I, I didn't catch it, but there's he's got to have a tag, right? I, I think this is your next long form article. Honestly, right. we'll get to the bottom uh, of it. And, and then draft picks. So your core now becomes Donovan Mitchell, Bradley Beal, Kristaps Porzingis. It's fine, I guess. I'm, I, yeah. I like it better than Portland, but I don't see the need to move heaven and earth here. I'm, I mean, I'm much more in the how soon can we trade Bradley Beal part of the Wizards <laughs> conversation than I am let's bring in more stars for Bradley Beal to play with. And maybe if you see Donovan Mitchell as the next Bradley Beal, maybe, mm. it, maybe it makes sense in, in a kind of different capacity, but their fit, I think, would just be kind of okay defensively it's almost as bad as as Mitchell and Dame or Mitchell and Brunson like like Beal is no great shakes there so I I I don't don't love the fit I don't love kind of the the vision of what that team could be yeah I'll stick with Dale on right I'll I'll stick with with Monte (laughs) Morris like let me let me roll out with those guys I guess okay uh this next group was originally part of the second tier but they like getting there makes a lot more sense. It's easier to, to package a couple players and make the the cap map with the work. And I also think they're both teams that don't necessarily need Donovan Mitchell, but they could do it in order to level up. If you're saying, Hey, what we have right now works. We're already good. In the case of our first team, the Boston Celtics we're very good. We just made the finals. We pushed the golden state warriors. Um, but Opportunity is there to get Donovan Mitchell on this team, and it would cost us, in theory, Marcus Smart, Danilo Gallinari, Gallinari, excuse me, my my Italian roots are just betraying me here, uh, Peyton Pritchard. You could also flip in a Grant Williams, a Derek Wright. So interesting guys, right? Not like total nothings, 
you could probably repackage some of these guys or just like build along with them plus picks. What do you think? I don't think the picks are good enough. And and that's kind of mm. one of the problems if you're one of these teams that's already quite good. So I mean, the Celtics are a great team. I think they're in, they're in a different category clearly than a lot of these other these other uh, Donovan Mitchell contenders, but like if you're if you're Utah, are you feeling really great about a 2025 first round pick from the Celtics when they have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown at this stage, when they've shown how much they can capitalize on their talent base and their versatility. I wouldn't love that, especially when the guys you're getting back are like useful players to teams who are further along in their developmental cycle than you are. So maybe Mm. it's like a weird hybrid three team construction where, you know, the, the gallows and the smarts go somewhere else, but I, I can't see them really moving the needle for Utah um, and frankly, from Boston's standpoint, I think Mitchell Weil would be a huge talent in, in you know infusion for that team. Might be doing too much for a team that just went to the NBA Finals. Like, I don't know that they need. I don't know that they're a Donovan Mitchell away from winning. Uh, I, I was told out in Vegas that at, at least at one point they were the betting favorite to win the title um, mm-hmm. currently. And you can kind of see how if you look East versus West, where you know the, I think the West is going to be pretty competitive up top, pretty crowded up top, and the East these other contenders are really good too, but it's nice to be the incumbent, you know, and to bring in a Brogdon and bring in a Gallo and do something that's like a little more subtle than, oh, let's let's take a huge swing for this star who's kind of redundant with our best guys and, and make it work. Those aren't the problems I'm inviting into the Celtics locker room. Right. I mean, you bring up a really great point where if you're getting future picks back from some of these teams, you're essentially shorting their future. Yeah. Right. And you're you being the Rockets to, to their nets. Yeah. You don't really want to do that for a blue chip franchise like the Boston Celtics. If you're the Knicks and you got those triple B's in there and <laughs> it's more like the housing market, you're you're expecting that to fall. And that's like a good bet to make, right? Although I will say if you're trading out so far in the future, we're talking 2029, like yeah. who knows what the Boston Celtics are going to be at that point. Are we a hundred percent certain that Jason Tatum's going to sign a Supermax when he's available to do so? Are we sure that Jalen Brunson is going to stay there as the number two guy forever? Like it's impossible to know, especially considering we were just talking about Donovan Mitchell like two years ago is the face of like the Jazz is this upstart team with Rudy Gobert that was so good in the regular season, and here they are. Justin, I'm not 100% sure I'm going to make it to the end of this podcast. So don't even talk to me about 2029, please. Right. Okay. So like maybe a team that's probably a little less right there in terms of uh, contention for the title. The Toronto Raptors, a team that has a bright future, but you do wonder like, okay, it's Scotty Barnes and we have Siakam, but like all these other guys are like fine. You know, if I could cobble them together and get a star, and if Kevin Durant proves too difficult, like maybe Donovan Mitchell is the next best thing. And so you're talking Gary Trent plus Kem Birch in picks. You'd also throw in Precious Achua. They have a lot of like interesting young guys. Malachi Flynn, there's flotsam there. You, you can make it work if you're saying like, oh, actually the Raptors, you know, maybe their picks are more like in the middle of the first for a couple of years. Um, is that more interesting to you? Much more interesting. See, n- n- okay. now you're now you're speaking to me. And I think some of it is, although the Raptors would have similar fit issues in some ways as some of the other teams we've talked about. For example, it, you know, a Fred Van Vliet, Donovan Mitchell backcourt is still very small, but Fred Van Vliet's like an all defense level guard, you know? So mm. you, you have something there in terms of the balance of their skill sets. He's also a guy who's, a, who's great off the ball, who knows how to move, but can also play makes to the point that Donovan Mitchell isn't burdened with being a full-time point guard. 
And then you have, you know, depending on who else is around, depending on what the rest of your construction looks like, depending on if you also and or trade for Kevin Durant. I mean, God, I, I can't even can't even juggle both those trade <laughs> possibilities at once. I think that might be doing too much. But I do like Mitchell there. I do like the juice that he gives them alongside guys like Van Vliet and Siakam and Scotty Barnes obviously is a big part of that. OG, we'll have to see kind of what his future with that franchise looks like, but I like Donovan Mitchell there. Hmm. They go from a team of just all 6'8", 6'10", guys to one of the smallest backcourts in modern <laughs> NBA history. Um, but wait, does, does Mitchell, someone who's going to obviously occupy the ball a lot, does that make sense with Barnes and Siakam there? Especially with Barnes, a guy it seems like everyone around the league is just in love with to the point where some people are like, no, don't trade him for Kevin Durant. Like, do you want to actively take the ball out of his hands and be like, find more of an ancillary role around Siakam and Mitchell? It's a totally fair point. And I think some of what made Scotty Barnes' rookie season so noteworthy and so surprising was that capacity on the ball. You know, I think a lot of people were expecting him to be, oh, he's going to fill the gaps. He's such a good mover. He's such like an intuitive player. He's just going to kind of find his spots. But no, he's a guy you can give give the ball to, run pick and roll, run weird inverted pick and rolls, run all kinds of action through him. I hear your point. And if, if you are sold on Scotty Barnes as being a superstar level prospect. And that's, I mean, that's a whole conversation in itself is if, if he is that or not. But if you're sold on that possibility, do not trade for Donovan Mitchell. Do not trade mm. for, for someone who's going to stand in his way like that because frankly, for, for as prolific and as successful as Mitchell has been, we have seen kind of how he can stand in the way of the development and the enabling of some of his teammates in terms of he's just not a guy who's going to like necessarily put everybody in the best positions to succeed. He's a guy who's going to help you by attracting a lot of attention, by scoring a bunch, by being a threat in transition and on the secondary break. And he's just like, he's so dangerous in those capacities. You're going to naturally kind of draft some, some value off that. But, you know, he, he's not going to find you on that backdoor cut, Scotty Barnes. I'm sorry. Yeah. So I think these are the two most interesting teams on the board because I do think the most interesting position you could be in the league is you are good. Should we take the risk of being great? It worked out with Kawhi. Um, although like the downside there probably wasn't as extreme as it would be for some of these teams. Like the Celtics are throwing away a team that just made the finals. The Raptors have more of a, a runway here with the Scotty Barnes Siakam core than they did uh, with the team that fell flat on its face against LeBron 30 straight times. Um, the last year, the ultimate dark horses, pretty much some of the best teams in, in the NBA who might say like, you know what? Let's fucking do it. And they're just going to give everything in order to make Mitchell fit in here. Some of them, it, it proves problematic just because of what they'd have to give out. Probably doesn't make sense. But I just want to talk about them more theoretically. Okay. Um, which of these teams do you find most interesting as a fit for Mitchell? I had the Golden State Warriors, the Phoenix Suns, the Dallas Mavericks, and the Philadelphia 76ers. It's got to be the Mavericks. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, we've already seen kind of what a Spencer Dinwiddie, what a Jalen Brunson can do. I mean, you you stretch out that role and you give it to Donovan Mitchell. That's a lot of what they've needed in terms of secondary ball handling. Um, I will say Mitchell would have to kind of accept a different sort of prominence and a different sort of focus within the offense because that's Luka's team. Like Luka is a different level of, of teammate and of creator than Mitchell has ever played with. So it would, it would be a very different dynamic from that perspective. But if he was willing to do that, I would say that would absolutely be the best of this particular bunch. The Mavs just in no way have the assets to to get something like this done, I don't think. You like that fit though? Why like, not? Do we do we think that 
Mitchell would be happy in a secondary role next to Doncic. I think I think he's going to enter a state or at least a phase of his career pretty quickly where he's going to have to be okay with a secondary role. Because mm-hmm. we we've seen what Donovan Mitchell as your primary offensive option looks like, you know, and and it was geared to him, it was built for him, what they were doing in Utah, and they had unbelievable regular season success in terms of their offensive rating and stuff like that. But it just didn't hold up. And it was, it was very reliant on him as a driving kick engine. And the kick part of that equation can come and go a little bit. I, I, I think he's going to have to be secondary to someone. And so if he's willing to do it to Luca, that would be a great fit for him. If he's willing to do it to, you know, ideally maybe even, you know, uh, if there's a, like a kind of a high, like a hybrid three, four kind of player, you know, like, I mean, like, like, you know, a Kevin Durant type, a Giannis type, like, I've, you know, these guys are impossible to find ways to play with, but you know, that would be, that'd be really cool just from a fit standpoint, but I don't think Donovan Mitchell is a guy you, you are building your entire future around offensively at this point. I think that's just where he is. It's tough because I think Donovan Mitchell thinks that most teams should be building around him. And he's, he's not wrong to think that, you know, like he's, he's close enough to it that I wouldn't blame him for saying something else was the problem in Utah. I want to try something different, but still have like more or less the same usage and responsibility and role. Um, but I, listen, I think most podcasts would be better built around me. You know, like we all have, <laughs> we can all dare to dream. We might not be right, but you know, at least we have that confidence to put that out there. You you guys would not believe the machinations behind this. The number of <laughs> trade requests that Varrier has put in is just ridiculous. But he gets he gets rebuffed at every turn. Isaiah is just shutting him down. Will not trade this guy, and it's it's becoming a little toxic. What do you think about the Warriors? So no, no. no the prop the no. problem there is they would have to trade Wiggins, Clay, or Draymond. But I do wonder if Mitchell is the type of he has enough of of offensive juice to where you say like, eh, maybe some of these young guys that we're counting on to like backfill a lot of these rotational posi- like spots that were vacated by Otto Porter, et cetera. Eh, maybe we, we sought him in instead. And all of a sudden we're rolling out Steph Mitchell, Clay Draymond as our big four. Wiseman. So, <laughs> Wiseman. Summer League sensation, James Wiseman. That was an experience. But just to clarify, you're saying I'm going to trade one of the most important players from the championship team in the NBA finals for Donovan Mitchell. And that like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to roll the dice with that. That's kind of the prospect here. Wh- who are you saying was the most important Wiggins? I'm saying literally like, like I think Andrew Wiggins is more important to the Warriors than Donovan Mitchell would be to the Warriors. <sighs> they have no one else who can do what he can do. Yeah. Yeah. That's the problem, right? Which like, is where's the defense look, it's, coming from? It's a from. fucking wild sentence to say out loud. <laughs> I, I'm not proud of it, yeah. but it's, it's just the reality of, of kind of what that team needs. And especially in a, honestly, like, you know, this is kind of a minor move in the grand scheme of things, but like losing Gary Payton, the second, they need on ball designated defenders more than ever. And as, as we've been talking about for the last weeks and months, uh, and as, as was being kind of chuckled about throughout summer league by v- lots of people that I talked to, to be honest with you, Andrew Wiggins having the realization that he should probably rebound is mm. just a monumental development in the NBA landscape. So I'm not, I'm not bailing on wigs now and I'm, I'm certainly not bailing on Clay or Draymond given what they mean to that franchise. The problem is Wiggins probably going to have another max offer waiting for him after this, right? If not this off season via an extension. 
P- pony up, Joe. Oh, God, it's brutal. I mean, I think the problem is a lot of these guys that are making big money on the Warriors, there are future concerns here. Like, are we sure that Clay Thompson is going to be the same clay or even a facsimile of the clay that we saw, like the good clay that we saw in the finals is Draymond like on his last leg. Should we get ahead of that as opposed to just paying him until the wheels fall off? It's the type of cutthroat move that the Warriors haven't made, especially to like members of their core that have been with them for that long. So I doubt that they're going to do it now, but like, I don't know. Like, I mean, that's also if Joe Lacob has visions of decades in the future where they're still competing for the titles, that is probably the type of cutthroat move you're going to have to make. If anything, just like maybe supplanting some of these guys beforehand and not getting the the clean baton passing to the Jordan Poole era that they probably think they're going to have. Well, and in contrast, the Warriors have something that almost none of these other teams we've been talking about have, which are really attractive young players, like prospects that I think have a lot of value in the league. I'm not really talking about James Wiseman, although he may be in that conversation, but like, I think there are a lot of Kuminga fans out there, not as a guy who is super impactful on winning right now in, in a bigger role, but two and three years down the line, what can he be? Moses Moody, that guy looks like a long-term NBA starter. I like, he has that kind of profile. And so you're, you're getting something in the door in these kinds of trade discussions that you're not getting elsewhere, that you're not getting from, you know, I I guess like the Blazers are probably the best counterpoint in terms of like, what are you really getting back from Portland in a deal like that? But I I just, I just don't see it in any capacity. I don't want to trade the high-end guys on the roster. I don't even want to trade the young guys on the roster for Donovan Mitchell. I'm going to try for the baton pass and it might be clumsy and we might drop it, but we're going to see if we can make it up on the back laps. I have a take brewing that I wonder how many of these guys are actually as good as people assume. Ooh. I'm not sure I believe in it yet. Your workshop I think here. Yeah, like we're already kind of penciling in Moses Moody for being the next Clay Thompson. No, and then no. Jonathan like <laughs> there's a lot of like Jordan Poole next Steph buzz and it got way out of hand. Like yes. can we see this guy start <laughs> for an entire season? Uh like they're probably gonna pay him max money. And I guess you do it if only to retain the asset, but like I don't know, man. I'm I'm not totally sh- like sure on a lot of these guys. If anyone, I like Kaminga the most, and I think Wiseman probably is someone that they need the most. So if he is going to dominate like he did the summer league scene, at least for like that one game, uh, like but for four I, minutes, I if we're being important. honest, <laughs> well, the very impactful four minutes. Um, those are the guys I actually think might pop a little bit more, but I'm a little bit more mixed on Pool and, and Moody. I actually don't have an educated opinion on yet. I just don't think we've seen enough. I think that's totally fair. And I respect that you're trying to, you know, workshop this thing out loud. I I respect that you're trying to, you know, to really see if these opinions are watertight, you know, put them out in the world, see what comes back. Right. I don't want to be on any Golden State Warriors podcast. Varier colon Moses Moody is a bum, at least just yet. Do aggregate Justin Varier. (laughs) Um, All right. So Sixers really tough. They would have to probably send out Tobias Harris. It's probably a negative value contract at this point, but they do have a succession plan already in the house with PJ Tucker right there. So um, that would work. The Suns, a team that clearly doesn't value the NBA draft. So like, <laughs> I think that might work. Like where's the DeAndre Ayton sign and trade to Utah? I mean, I think if they wanted him, it would have been done in some capacity or another, probably already, you know, if they, if they like, and I, I like DeAndre Ayton. Personally, I would be trying to sign a trade for DeAndre Ayton for something or get him to an offer sheet. Um, it's getting tougher and tougher on that front. But the uh, as much as I would like to see Devin Booker and Donovan Mitchell try to coexist 
and I say that more from a personality standpoint than from a basketball standpoint, I, I don't think anyone involved should want that. Okay. Uh, so which of these teams now? We talked about the Knicks, the Heat, the Blazers, the Wizards, Celtics, Raptors, and these dark horses. Which of these is your favorite? I think it's the Heat. Yeah, I agree. The Heat just the makes heat too ma- much sense. The Heat make a lot of sense. And honestly, as we've been talking through all these, like I, I do kind of like some contours of the Raptors possibility. But I think the Knicks are probably actually my second choice. Uh, mm. it, it's not a super clean fit. It's not absolutely perfect. But there's just enough to like there for a team that needs to get better and is trying to get better that I think the they're a little bit better set up to absorb a Donovan Mitchell right now than some of these other teams are. So I, I think the Knicks might actually be my second choice. I don't hate the Celtics possibility. And now it's just not going to happen, though. But if we're ranking on, on how we like it, I, I guess that's fine. You know, I want you to have your own individual tastes. You know, I don't want I don't want me or the rest of the world to <laughs> skew you. I want I want you to have your your prize darlings. Yeah. I just I'm not a hundred percent convinced that the Celtics don't need an upgrade. Like they're a really good team. They could win the finals next year. That's great. But I feel more confident in them if they have Donovan Mitchell in that spot than I do if they have a Marcus smart, you know, they have a lot of these veteran defenders and whatever. I think they can afford a little, a little juice in there offensively. I just like how you said, you know, they could win the championship next season. That's great. As if you're giving <laughs> them like a little pat on the head. It's, it's all increasing odds. You know, I'm Daryl Moore here. I'm just trying to up my percentages. This episode is supported by state farm, man. I remember when I first got into a car accident, It was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Grand Marnier. Forget the ordinary margarita. It's time you added a little finesse to your cocktail game. Enter Grand Marnier. Inspired by French style and sophistication, Grand Marnier blends smooth cognac with bold orange liqueur. A grand encounter fit for champions. Follow Grand Marnier USA on Instagram to learn more. Drink with style. Drink responsibly. Grand Marnier liqueur, 40% alcohol by volume, copyright 2023, Campari, America, New York, New York. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. All right, shall we flip to the mailbag now? I think we should. Okay, are you ready? I mean, this is, this is your first here. I'm a little nervous, you know? Yeah. But we, let's give the people what they want. 
<laughs> well, you're going to get a lot of uh, thunder takes here because, all right, our first question from up in my tree on Twitter. Actually, actually this is a two-hander because two people ask kind of the same question. Uh, do you think any of the bottom teams were expected to tank for Wemby? I assume he means Victor Webanyama. Uh, Detroit, Oklahoma City, Magic, Houston, etc., are actually going to ruin their chances by being too good too soon. And then Boyan33 also asks, are we too quick to label the Magic and Thunder future consent, uh, contenders considering the drastic rise in player movement and anything that can happen between now and, say, 2027? Uh, Boyan, you, you sweet turtle dove, my friend. <laughs> the idea of the Thunder being too good too soon. Uh, I guess is uh, people getting a little high off of the Summer League vibes. Can I blow your mind? Oh no! I think Please. they might. I think they might be too good too soon. Oof! The Thunder. I, actually, or the magic? Let me let me rephrase that. The Thunder. Yeah. I don't think too soon is a problem. As at least as much for me as other people. Like I, I get the Victor Wembanyama hype. I, I want to dig more into that and figure out what his whole deal is. To be honest with you, uh, but I think they're gonna be pretty good. I think is my my large point, and a lot of that is. Shea has played 91 games over the last two seasons. And I think there's mm. been a little bit of an out of sight, out of mind thing with him and a lot of NBA fans. Him playing a full season combined with a young roster that's still growing into itself, that might be enough. And if, especially if Chet is a good rookie and we don't know if he's going to be in that position or not yet. We need to just kind of see how he stacks up. But I wouldn't be shocked up to look, you know, look up at the standings come... January 1st, come the all-star break, come kind of like that stage of the season and see like a 500 Thunder team. That would not be a shocking revelation to me. 500. I don't know, man. They, like they're maybe- playing 17 year olds in every position. <laughs> like, listen, so the Thunder have been better than they should have been. What the past two years. And they've really had to lean on the tankometer in order to, to bottom out here, especially is, two years. That's what ago. I'm saying, though. Like, I, I yeah. think the numbers have been juiced a little bit by Shea's absence specifically in a way that, like, we're not just looking at the standings and saying, okay, they're roughly that good again, plus two or three wins. Like, they are a much better team than they were by record, especially last season. Yeah. But one of my favorite, like, axioms in life that definitely applies to the NBA is that young people are by and large useless. Oh, come on. (laughs) Like I I say this every year, right before the draft, most of the rookie class is not going to have positive value. They are way too young and especially positive value on a good team. Like if you go back through every rookie, like the Scotty Barneses of the world, like a rookie who is a like a plus in whatever advanced metric you want to throw out there on a good team is very, very rare. And so the idea of like getting at like NBA ready talent is kind of a fallacy. It's like only a scant few sort of players. I don't think Chet Holmgren and Usman Jang and all these other guys who are like 20 years old and like spending their weekends like doing SoundCloud raps are going to like contribute to a lot of winning basketball is is the fear. I can actually see your beard getting grayer as you go through this take. <laughs> and also for the record, I don't are young people even on SoundCloud? I feel like that's <laughs> probably not. I think you just dated yourself there. Uh, which is which is sad. Yeah, it's all but on look, TikTok now. The counterpoint is this is not about rookies. 
This yeah. is about Lou Dort. This is about the the new and improved Josh <laughs> okay. Giddy. This is about Shea. This is about Trey Mann who showed some. Like I think there's enough guys on that roster who showed some stuff. Trey Mann, get Trey, out of here. Trey Mann's an NBA player. Good NBA player. <laughs> great. Yeah, great. Yes, I would hope so. Um, all right. Well, that's a good segue here because our next questions have to deal with the Thunder potentially dealing from their rock solid superstar core here. Um, a guy who was just a shark emoji, but is at MVP newbie asks from what we've seen from Giddy as a primary, primary ball handler. <laughs> Hold on. I got to stop. <laughs> you can't even make it through the question. Uh, these guys watch two games of, of Utah summer league, not even Vegas. And all of a sudden Josh Giddy is the next Chris Paul. All right. Let me, let me just finish. <laughs> Let shark emoji Uh, get his question off. All right. From what we've seen from Giddy as a primary ball handler in this little sample size, do you think OKC should entertain trading SGA for a hall of picks focused on building around Chet and Giddy? Uh, Bull Walton also asked, should the Thunder get in the Aiton hunt, maybe dangling SGA? Aiton would be the big Chet needs so he could stay in B, yada, yada, yada. Giddy would get the keys to the offense. You just oh, can't take it. You can't. You can't I fucking take. Love summer league, man. <laughs> this is like the Super Bowl for the Thunder. We're not going to hear from them from like five to six months from now. So yeah, get these giddy takes in. It's actually kind of funny that that this question came in, uh, mm. in part because while I was out in Vegas, I was talking to someone about the Thunder, and I'm kind of laying out the synergy. Why I love the synergy of Shea and Giddy and Chet as your core guys. Like I think they fit together in a way that makes total sense doing enough of the stuff that the others don't do. I'm kind of, I'm really liking the shape of that. Now I'm laying out that case. I'm making my case, not unlike the case I made to you a second ago and then you just laughed at. <laughs> but the response I got from this person was, they, you know, they really yeah. pulled the handbrake on the bandwagon I was trying to build. And, and what they said was, they would not be shocked if Shea was traded in the next year or so. And to be totally honest, mm. this this rocked me a little bit. I was not really even entertaining the possibility of Shea as a trade candidate, I assumed, like, this is a really good 24-year-old player. Why would the Thunder be in a position to trade him? And that's kind of where I am. I'm, I'm I'm floored by that possibility. I'm, I'm certainly floored. Look, I, I really like Josh Giddy. Josh Giddy is not currently a primary ball handler, especially compared to Shea, who, for all his limitations as a playmaker, and you may see him as more of a combo guard than a pure point guard, is one of the most successful and frequent drivers in the league. Like he is getting to the rim in a way that a Josh Giddy is not. Uh, but it was interesting. You know, I became kind of obsessed with this question, to be honest with you. Once this person mentioned the, the shade trade possibility to me, started asking everyone I found about it, about like, could they see this happening? Is this realistic? Would you do it? What do you feel about it? And you get a wide range of responses on Shay and Giddy. Uh, you get some people obviously fever dreaming about Chet and Victor Webanyama playing together. I don't, I don't know about that personally. That, that, that feels a little redundant to me. Maybe Victor is so great, it doesn't matter. I don't know enough about him as a prospect yet. But I will say, after processing all of it, I find myself pretty skeptical of the idea of Shea getting traded in the near future or the idea that he should get traded in the near future, largely on the basis that he's pretty freaking good. And I think mm-hmm. we, I think this, this season, I feel like, is going to be a little bit of a reckoning in that capacity. I mean, where, where are you on Shea these days? Well, I think the question is, does he fit their timeline at this point? He's 24. And I'm curious. I know, but like he's already on a long term deal. Like year five, though, in the NBA. 
he is at a point like he already went through the the trials and tribulations of a young player like he he learned under Chris Paul like he's probably ready to be unleashed and as you mentioned like if he does start to pop like the first half of the season he's an all-star on the fringes of all-star like do they shut him down and does that become a problem for him personally does he not want to do that does that screw up your finely manicured culture that Presti has taken so much time to build it sounds ridiculous just because it seems like the Thunder are verging on Ponzi scheme at this point, if they're trading Shea for a bunch of picks. But on the other hand, like, can you now leverage the Donovan Mitchell market and the KD market and be like, hey, come get Shea? He's actually younger than Donovan Mitchell, and he probably fits every team in the NBA in a way that Donovan Mitchell doesn't. I don't know if I I would do it because I don't think the the Thunder need more picks, but I think it's an interesting discussion to have. I think, you know, obviously this conversation hinges a lot on what you think of Chet, whether you think Giddy can be like an, is he going to be a really good player? Is he going to be an okay player? Is he going to be an all-star level player? That might embolden you if you're on the higher end of that spectrum to trade someone like Shea, but I don't get it. I I really don't. I I think he's going to, I think he is already very good to the point that, like you're saying, if if he's ready to be unleashed, if he's that kind of player, I think, I think the Thunder are going to be a good team. And one one hypothetical that someone brought up to me as as I was kind of running Shea by people. If you took last season's Grizzlies team and you put Shea in for Ja, how different is that team? (sighs) That's a great question. I mean, there are times, especially during the regular season, where Ja was just one of the best players in the NBA. He has a level of transcendence. It makes more sense. Yeah. He has a level of transcendence that Shea doesn't, just in terms of the things he can do athletically, obviously. Even some of the reads he makes, I think, are, are a little bit further along than where Shea is. But I think what this person was getting at and where I'm kind of coming closer to is those guys are not as far away from each other as you know the MVP ballot conversation last February may have led you to believe. Yeah. <sighs> That's tough. <laughs> so what you're saying is you don't trade that type of player. If you're not going to shade a John Morant, you don't trade a Shea. Uh, Shea. No, I mean, I'm, I mean, I've already made my case that I think the Thunder might actually be kind of good. And if if not this season, I think they certainly have a case to be quite good next season. Uh, sorry, the uh, the following season. But maybe maybe I'm alone. Maybe maybe it's just going to be me on on Thunder Island. No, I I mean I laugh mostly at the idea that Josh Giddy like widely panned. That, as that's a draft really pick. the rich part of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, is is now the future of the franchise. I mean. I don't necessarily disagree with you that maybe they already have their core, right? Maybe like the team is just going to be SGA, Dort, Giddy, Chet, and fill in between with all those other. And like the one thing that the the extra draft picks in the future actually buy you is the opportunity to be good and borrow someone else's future. Like if the Clippers end up being bad, which doesn't seem like the case considering they're just going to pay their way to success for the foreseeable future, like actually count on those picks to feed what you've already gotten. I guess the question is, is Shea, is Chet, the blue chip number one guy that you've kind of been building this all around? If he's not, and if you even have a hesitation, if we're saying that Shea isn't John Morant, that he's maybe just like a cut below, I think you actually still need to be vying for that guy because that's what this is all about. And I think you actually introduce a lot of questions about what you've been doing and whether or not this is actually just the process redux 
if you don't get that guy because the process at the very least ended up with Embiid. And I don't know if they have an Embiid yet. I think I think that's a fair concern. But I, I do like what you singled out there in terms of what their draft capital gets them. I mean, they really are in the opposite position of teams like the Nets who are so incentivized to, to keep trying to win now. But in a weird way, the, the Thunder are incentivized to win now too. Like they, they really do have so much draft capital that I think one, they could trade, they could consolidate a lot of their picks and trade for a pretty high value prospect at some point down the line. Or if it comes down to it, you know, if you get two or three years into this thing, I think all of these guys are still going to be young enough that you could entertain those options then. But for, for the near to medium future, I'm, I'm running out this core. I'm seeing, I'm seeing how this is going to go. And maybe, maybe you are kind of okay to middling enough anyway that you end up with a decent player in the draft. Maybe, I mean, maybe one of these guys does get hurt and this is not a particularly deep team at present. That would obviously be devastating to their chances if they're trying to win games. I, I kind of like what they're building though. And I think maybe, maybe I'm higher on that on them and on that than most, but uh, I'm certainly not looking to trade Shea. And I, I really like the way he and Giddy can fit. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not giving the keys to my offense to Josh Giddy just yet. That's, that's real summer league pilled kind of thinking. <laughs> sure. It's an interesting conversation. Um, I think it leads nicely into this next question from uh, death and strawberry at silver tooth baby <laughs> um, saying Twitter names out loud is, is really makes you old. Um, life on the line, which is more likely to happen in the next five years, Sacramento makes the playoffs or either Orlando or Houston make the second round. It's probably a good chance to talk about Orlando and Houston, the two other good teams that I think were mentioned before. In addition to Detroit, um, Detroit has way too many young players, so I don't see them being good anytime soon anyway, although I do really like their future. Um, same thing with Orlando and Houston for me. Again, I I like their futures. Their their presents aren't that great. Um, I'm going to say Sacramento makes the playoffs. Are you saying that for the premise of this question or for this season? Yeah. Premise of the question is in the next five years, Sacramento makes the playoffs or Orlando or Houston makes the second round one because it's the easier hurdle. Yeah. You have, you have to be pretty good, especially how top heavy or a lot of these conferences are right now to make it to the second round. But I also think that Sacramento has probably the most motivation <laughs> to get to the playoffs. And totally. I'm actually like quietly in love with their team. Like their team is going to be one of the most fun league pass teams in recent memory. I mean, I think they could be a play in team as soon as this season. So just, yeah, you know, from the sheer probability of getting the the attempt to try it immediately, I think it's got to be Sacramento. You know, the yeah. second the second round is a actually quite a quite a tough bar to clear. And if if you think it's not, I mean, ask like the Minnesota Timberwolves the last time they made it out of the first round of the playoffs. That's it's tough. It's tough for a lot of these groups. So I'm I'm I am relatively high on some of what's going on in Orlando and Houston in various capacities, but second round is tough. Which team are you higher on, though? Do you like what Orlando has or Houston? I would say Houston by far. Um, by far? Interesting. Yeah, I think you got to clean it up a little bit. And by clean it up, I mean mostly like, I'm just not a big Kevin Porter Jr. person. So I think you need to find some kind of resolution there. But in terms of their actual core guys, and and we'll have to see if like if Shangun can actually fit into that or not. But man, there's, there's just a lot to work with there. Again, in ways that are complementary, in ways that's like, Oh, this like hyper athletic guard plus a spacing big, you know, and and this like rangy guard who's like still figuring out how to defend. Oh, and he now has kind of a you know a rim protector to to help like cover for what he can't do. 
I, I like that mix. I like that mix more than than Orlando, which to me is still still a little bit more muddled. But you saw presumably Paulo and Jabari up close. Yes. And you're still going with Houston. I mean, Paolo is super impressive. I'm 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 high on Paolo. Yeah. It's just like, what is the roster around him that's going to make his skill set make sense? And how long is it going to take you to get there? I would probably take the better talent at this point. If we're saying Paolo is the best player between those two teams, are, are I we? would probably... You think Jalen Green is better than Paolo? He might. He's going to be. He might be. Really? Really? I don't know. Like He had a, he had a really impressive back half of last season. We'll, we'll see if that's smoke and mirrors or not. But I'm, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not ruling it out that he could be. I saw some Apollo just from afar and a giant playmaker who can shoot. He's, he's so literally huge. everything you he's could so want huge. in a player. Um, it, and it's not like they're like, like completely bereft of guys around him. Like, no, they do have some the Wagner's. Yeah. The Wagner bros around him. Uh, Suggs, obviously first round pick last year. We'll see if he could bounce back from a mediocre rookie season. Like they've got guys, Markel Fultz to run the show. He's still probably like 21. Lord knows. Honestly, probably true. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, next question from uh, George Castillo. Uh, what is the biggest L you've taken after a summer league performance in parentheses who had you hyped in summer league only to disappoint? Great question. Yeah, I was trying to think of why. I was trying to find a real deep cut for this. Do you, do you have an answer for this? So as I mentioned before, I spent the entire run at summer league, I think two years in a row. Jesus which Christ. means I saw a lot of fucking summer league basketball, which explains a lot about like the current trauma in my life. Um, no, but like Josh Selby, oh, former yeah. summer league MVP, tearing it up. I thought he would at least like be an NBA player. Uh, I think the classic example, though, one near and dear to both of our hearts, I believe, is Anthony Randolph. Oh, I mean, so tantalizing. How could you not? <laughs> the ultimate summer league experience. He would probably. What, what did he put up one game? It was like 30 oh, it, or 40 or something like that. He had some insane... St- and it was, was Bellinelli the same summer league team? Was it Bellinelli he, and he Rand- mid. Oh my God. I mean, that's got to go up in the, in the <laughs> summer league hall of fame. Bellinelli famously, I think, had a 50-point game in the summer league. If he was playing at the same time as Randolph, look, they, they don't make them like that anymore. You know, they don't make summer league rosters like that. If they had the rings back then, those guys would oh. be like like the Tom Brady photo where he has just like six of them on one hand. Yeah. That would be Anthony Randolph right it now. Would, it would be a dynasty. They would be coming back <laughs> playing into your six and seven just to keep the streak going. Um, Glenn Rice Jr., another one. Really? He, he got Summer you? League MVP? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, there, there are some, some good ones. Jeremy Lin was a, a standout in Summer League, but that For one sure. ended up working but- out. Uh, yeah, yeah. Anthony that, that, Randolph, I think, is is the ultimate answer here. I think that's the definitive answer. Um, all right. Next question. What's the best case is from Chris Manning? Uh, what's the best case for Colin Sexton, considering he's in free agency purgatory? And now there, we should mention there's some slight scuttlebutt around the Jazz that there could be a Colin Sexton for Mike Conley sign in trade, which doesn't make any sense in my mind. But that was a report out there today. Um, but I guess the question is, do you see a team out there that actually needs Colin Sexton at this point? I think I mean I think the Cavs do to be honest with you. I, I kind of like what he can still give them, and to that point, and this was kind of something that that came up quite a bit at summer league. Honestly, was the fascination around Sexton and his situation. There just aren't many teams with a lot of cap space left. Certainly, with the kind of range of offers that he wants, 
I see this as a qualifying offer resolution. That's what it feels like mm-hmm. to me. It feels like come back, you know, have a healthy season, play on the qualifying offer, play for a winning team, go on the market again next year and see if you can get the the 20 to 25 million dollar per year offer you were looking for initially because it's it's that's not there right now for him. And I think justifiably so. Like I think he still has a lot to prove as a player. And I, I mean, it was kind of, it was really unfortunate the way that he had to make his exit from a Cavs team where he was really kind of hitting his stride in a different capacity in a different role early last season. So I, w- I want to see him get another crack at that. I think that could actually be a pretty good outcome in terms of basketball, if obviously not financially what he's looking for. Yeah. There don't seem to be a lot of suitors left on the board here because you saw teams like the magic that have cap space, prioritize signing flexible contracts. Like they signed a bunch of guys with non-guaranteed second year so they can retain or or preserve their cap space that way. I just don't see anybody left on the board who really needs him. The Pacers are the one team up there lurking, but they seem heavily involved in the DeAndre Ayton sweepstakes. We'll see what happens there. And if they miss out on Ayton, I don't know if they really need Sexton, especially considering how much they've invested in their backcourt over the past few years. Uh, Matherin seems to be putting up like 25 points every time I look up. Um <sighs> I would, I assume he's going to end up back in Cleveland, probably on the qualifying offer, as Rob mentions, maybe even just on uh, a longer term deal. Although this is like what we encountered when Laurie Markadon ended up in Cleveland, right? He was just lean, lean, like looming out there for a while and they figured out a sign in trade. What do you think about the idea of Sexton as a buy low candidate in Dallas as something of the Donovan Mitchell light, light, light? like off guard scorer who can close games, maybe not start next to Luka Doncic. And that way you inject some like young talent into a team that might struggle to get that in the future. I don't mind it at all. And I, I like yeah. him as in terms of his scoring explosiveness. I like him more than Dinwiddie, you know, like I like him more than some of the other, even honestly more than Tim Hardaway jr. Who I think is, is streaky to the point of counterproductivity in a lot of ways. So yeah, I, th- I think that could be a, a worthy gamble for them. It's just going to depend on what it would take to get him there. Okay. A couple more here uh, to close us out. Uh, this is from Betsy Cash Money. Great name. Uh, is Cat actually that good? Why am I the only one bothered by? And she has two bullet points here. Uh, his lack of improvement on defense after eight years in the league. The amount of time he spends standing totally stationary. I like standing stationary, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I do think, you know, the pronounced strengths and weaknesses with Cat lend him pretty easily to this line of conversation. Like he he is a guy who can be quite agitating to watch. I mean, what is what is your experience with Cat? Like when you're when you're tuning in, d- does he do things that irk you or are you mostly into that experience? I feel like you're right that he's an easy player to beat up on, especially I think more because of his personality than anything else. Like, yeah, he is pretty maddening and you wonder like why can't he be helpful defensively. Although like the wolves were pretty good defensively last season, despite like his flaws. And I think that's something to really price in here. Yeah. It should definitely be noted that I do think he's actually gotten a little bit better defensively over these past two years. He's not great. He's not a defensive anchor by any means. Minnesota still had to do a lot to try to cover for the fact that he wasn't a defensive anchor last season in terms of the aggressiveness of some of their schemes. So all of that is is not necessarily what you want from your superstar player. Like the fact that so much of what makes your team good and also so much of what limits your team is coming from the same person. That's tough. But I still think he was an all NBA guy last season. Like I, I still mm. think his offense is that valuable. And although, you know, 
I, I know Cat has been on the I'm the best shooting big man in NBA history train. I'm going to respectfully pump the brakes on that. Uh, that's, Who's that's won just, then? Come on. Chet? Come on now. <laughs> come on now. Come on now. I, look, the, the championship winning best shooting big man in history is right there. You know, that, that is, that is Dirk's title to lose until cat does oh. something of actual substance. I'm sorry. Um, you, you carry a team to elite offense for basically your entire career. I think you're, you're, you're grandfathered into that title, but Rob put on a cowboy hat as he was stating that, by the way, e- yeehaw. <laughs> uh, I, I still think cat is really good. And certainly by, uh, by any other metric, you know, maybe, maybe the second best shooting big man in NBA history. Yes. And in, in a way that he's so good from the perimeter that he sometimes talks himself out of going into the post when he should, but he's also so good from the perimeter that you can trade for Rudy Gobert and it kind of makes sense. So that's the problem. I think you're, you're hitting on there. I think he gets discounted because he's a little bit more of a finesse player. And I still think there's like a bias toward that. But on the other hand, I do think he buys into that a little more than he should. And he floats on the perimeter a little bit more than he like. He's this massive man. He should probably use that to his advantage a little bit more. Yeah, I I think there's a sweet spot to be found sometime in Cat's future where he is able to to flex the versatility in his game, the stretch in his game. And I think what we saw some in the playoffs in last season, too, was just like attacking bigs off the dribble from the three point line when they have to close so hard against him. He's become so good at that. There's a nice sweet spot between doing those things, but also mixing it up more on the offensive glass, you know, bullying switches and mismatches a little bit more, especially because the more and more dangerous than Anthony Edwards becomes, the more and more desperate teams are going to get in the pick and roll, the more they're going to try to switch and double and do other things against him. That's where I think Cat can ultimately find like a, a pretty comfortable spot for himself and could maybe become the player we've all been hoping that he could someday be. Yeah, I think Cat also has a little... Anthony Davis-itis, which is something we were talking about a little bit with Mitchell, that he's a one that should probably be a two. I think he should be your most talented player. I don't think he should be the leader of your franchise. And like, I think it would have behooved him in an alternate reality to be paired with a veteran guard in the way that Anthony Davis was paired with LeBron. So that personality type takes center stage where you could really just focus on being incredible at what you do. And that's not even a ding. Like, I, I feel like no, we, we, re- we reduce this to the, like the whole Batman Robin. Oh, sorry. We do not reduce it to the Batman Robin thing. Media brethren do. And I, I, it's, it's ridiculous. Like if you're the number two player on a really good team, you're a freaking good player, period. There's not as much glamor in it. Like you're not going to get the highest end endorsement deals. You're not going to get the same level of acclaim, but Man, the, like you have to be amazing to be the number two player on a championship team. There's no shame in that at all, or a high a high achieving playoff team. And I think that's kind of what the Wolves are banking on now is can can Towns become that kind of player, or I guess can Rudy be that kind of player for us if if you believe in in his kind of playoff viability in that way. I don't think they're wrong to do it. I think that Towns is really good, and ultimately, I think that we're going to see something over these next couple of years from him. Not an all-out transformation, but certainly some progress to, to get him closer to the point where, you know, Betsy, maybe you don't feel quite this way in the near future. I think Kat's going to win you over. I will say, though, that I do think while him, his like his best position being number two, like isn't a flaw per se. I do. It, it gets you into trouble into these situations where you have to put a lot of different pieces around him and overpay for a guy like a Gobert to come in and complete the picture. Whereas with other teams, like, you know, you don't really need much more than a LeBron James or like a Chris Paul and his prime 
even like a James James Harden making do with like the Ryan Andersons and and the Chandler Parsons of the world for a little bit. You know, like you can build around that a lot easier than you can saying like actually we need a number one who's like kind of a take the game by the throat sort of player to go with this guy. That's, that's all I I think that makes total sense. Do, do we want to hit okay. one more question? Yeah, let's do uh, let's do one more. Um, should we do one from Keith Fujimoto? I think we have to do one from Keith Fujimoto. Yeah. Uh, of Ringer NBA social fame uh, at Oakley and Allen. He asked, what team or player should Netflix and Adam Sandler make a movie about next? Have you, you seen have Hustle? Any, uh, have you seen Hustle yet? I have. It's quite good. I haven't yet, so I need to. So it, I will say, take my my frame of reference from a game of, or with a game of salt. What am I saying? Are these words <laughs> with a grain of salt? Please, uh, I need to watch it. But just from a, a conceptual standpoint, I, I want the Scotty Barnes movie, and really, what I want. I, <laughs> what? Look, look, we we got the Wancho Hernan Gomez movie. You're gonna begrudge me a Scotty Barnes movie? I guess that's fair. This is my pitch. I think he's one, a really charming guy who can carry a movie. Two, I think he's a really good basketball player who kind of has like the Tom Hanks in big vibe sometimes, like just a, a literal giant child. And mm-hmm. I, I want I want that fish out of water experience against all of these very serious uh, NBA backdrops. But really what I'm setting up, I just want to reverse engineer a scene where Sandler is in a room full of scouts, Moneyball style. And they're arguing over whether Scotty Barnes gives too many hugs. That's the scene that I want. That's all I want, and we can, we'll we'll make the whole movie to get there. Okay, that was a pretty good one. Um, you didn't sound so sincere obvi- about that. <laughs> yeah, I guess I don't know as much about Scotty Barnes's personality as it seems like a lot of other people do. He's, well, he's we, like we a- need to change that. We need to get you on the Scotty train. Okay, is he like Dwight level where he's like he has oh, no. his favorite candies in in the the clubhouse. I, I would say with less phoniness, you know, the, like he comes by oh, it. Man. He comes by it earnestly, you know, for now, that's what we were saying about <laughs> Dwight. You early. really hate that. You really hate all the kids, you know, I don't like kids. Um, so a couple contenders for this one. I think the easy one is to say like a Poku Chet buddy comedy, like okay. the new dumb and dumber. Um, rude. I kind of want the beside, behind the scenes. Look at, Luka Doncic's life because we really don't know anything about this guy and I think it's like a calculated attempt to not give things to the media at this point he has to be because like he would have already done like a in-depth ESPN profile or like an athletic deep dive or whatever by this point Um, I have no idea what's going on there but I guarantee this guy is like into some shit like he has like a snake pit in his house like, oh yeah, like a tiger den. He's definitely one of these guys that's like, he has a lot of money and he's buying a lot of weird shit. And I want to know more about that. I think that's a good move. Like, give him the the Nick Cage playing a fictionalized version of Nick Cage. Like, let's get Luca playing a totally outlandish version of himself with the set, aforementioned snake pit. I'm mm-hmm. I'm into that. I, I like where this is going. All right, so we'll be attached as producers. Uh, Isaiah Blakely will be the executive producer. But um, all right, let's uh, let's wrap it there then. Uh, for Robin, for myself, and for Waz, somewhere out there in the ether, hopefully still alive. Come back to us, Waz. Uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you to uh, Isaiah Blakely on production. Isaiah. Blakely.